Welcome to First Formation, a weekday podcast for high church lowlifes like me, Logan Isaac, looking to get the fuck up and pray. This is where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. A podcast for anyone who cares for soldiers and veterans enough to follow us into the mud and the suck, to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained her blessing, life forevermore. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 through 27. David said to him, How did things go? Tell me. He answered, The army fled from the battle, but also many of the army fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan also died. Then David asked the young man who was reporting to him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan died? The young man reported to him, said, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, while the chariots and the horsemen drew close to him. When he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me. I answered, Here, sir, and he said to me, Who are you? I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me, Come, stand over me and kill me, for convulsions have seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood over him and killed him, for I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And all the men who were with him did the same. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for his son Jonathan, and for the army of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who had reported to him, Where do you come from? He he answered, I am the son of a resident alien, an Amalekite. David said to him, Were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Come here and strike him down. So he struck him down, and he died. David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, where the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson and luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. 
Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. At that time the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world, and this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. There's um, two things about the reading in Second Samuel that really kind of strike home. And the first one is this uh, son of an Amalekite who uh, goes to King David, or I'm sorry, he's not king yet, but uh, he goes to David and, and basically tells him what he saw. And part of that is incredibly bad news, that his very close friend that he loved more than women, uh, apparently, uh, Jonathan, had died in battle, uh, as had his father and David's, uh, and and Saul, uh, Jonathan's father. Now Saul hated David and wanted to kill him and everything else, but David didn't return that. In fact, there's a number of instances, and this is one of them, where David doesn't return um, evil for evil. Uh, we'd heard one, um, so the reason that stands out. On the one hand, the the boy who comes and reports this, he also says, look, I saw it all happen. Um, Saul fell on his sword. He committed suicide, but it didn't, it didn't quite work. And it seems as though uh, Saul had some kind of convulsion, but he's still alive. And he asks this young man to kill him, to finish the job because he would suffer. Um, and I mean, he you know, depending on what it actually is that had happened. He had maybe hours or days to live, but he wasn't satisfied. He either wanted to evade more pain or humiliation by being killed uh, on the battlefield by his enemies, um, which I think even within its context, I think it would, would have been better to have been killed by his enemies than to kill himself. But anyway, this young man sees it, and he's telling David what happens, and he says... Well, Saul, Saul asked me to finish the job, and he looked like he was in pain. And the Amalekites have been uh, enemies off and on with uh, Israel. Um, it's most likely that at this point, you know, he's a resident alien in Israel, but the Amalekites, you know, his father being an Amalekite would have made him kind of an outsider and not all that trustworthy, kind of like an immigrant. Uh, in fact, he says he's a resident alien. Um, he resides with Israel or within Israel's boundaries, but he is an alien. He's not, he's not Jewish. He's not circumcised, probably. And, you know, the text doesn't leave us any clues as to whether or not this young man felt pity for Saul or some sense of duty, but he does it. And he says, um, you know, uh, he, Saul tells the boy, stand over me and kill me. Uh, I've been convulsing, but I'm still alive. And the boy says, so I stood over him and killed him. For I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown and these 
fancy things on his arms, and I'm bringing them here to you. And David, um, I suppose true to David's form, particularly in terms of like the Goliath thing where he's so insulted by the uh, degradation of God. And it's, you know, it's not that, you know, Israel in and of itself is great, but like Israel being the embodiment of God on earth and Goliath insulting God's embodiment here on earth, that's the problem. How it reflects on God, not about Saul or his brothers or, you know, the masculinity of the Israelite army or something. And here again, it's about God has made this person, has anointed this person, and that's special and important, whatever I think of it. And he does what he, I don't know if he thinks it's right, but he has this young man killed for killing, uh, for honoring the request or, or at least fulfilling the request of a dying king, a king who had taken his own life. And the guilt doesn't fall on Saul for doing it or starting it. David says that the fault falls on this young man for doing it instead of something else. And that just speaks to the moral ambiguity and yet uh, density uh, on the battlefield. So it's not that war is amoral, but that war is the most moral. Like there's so many moral choices to be made, it's overwhelming. And that's kind of the problem. You know, you can't say, well, uh, I know what was good and right. You know, when an enemy throws a grenade in there and and your buddy jumps on the grenade and dies, has your buddy committed suicide or has he saved a squad? Um, I mean, there's there's just no easy parsing out between right and wrong, um, good and evil. There are no binaries in war. There's an infinite multitude of grays. And so this young man did what probably he thought was the right thing to do. Not only, he didn't seem to have any malice. He brings, instead of like grabbing the crown or stashing it in his pocket or claiming himself king, he brings it to this person that he knows is, is important. And that person kind of turns on him. It reminds me of um, arriving in the police station in Samara in Iraq in uh, October of 2004. And there's this police officer in his uniform after we've like bombarding the city for several hours um, he took it upon himself to sit in the police station and wait for the Americans to arrive to uh, do a proper handover you know what he thinks is right when my platoon gets there we drag him out put him in cuffs and then one of the guys punches him in the stomach with his hands cuffed behind his back so here he is he's thinking he's doing the right thing making a very difficult and dangerous choice but the right choice um, and the wisest choice at the moment, and yet um, it, it doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to because of somebody else's choice um, and somebody else's power over him. Another thing, just because of how the political system is shaking out and the checks and balances that were built into our, our union are, are crumbling over the, under the pressure of partisanship, the other thing that stuck out is um, David's refusal to kind of dance on Saul's grave. You know, Saul was not the best person. He certainly wasn't the worst either. A lot of people don't like the current administration for very good reason. In fact, I think a majority of Americans don't like the current administration. Um, but uh, David does something like, um, I don't know if, it, it's fair or overreach to call like Robert Mueller 
David, like the same political party. He doesn't, you know, uh, drive him into the dirt. He clearly didn't have a political agenda insofar as we understand that word political, but he also didn't exonerate him. Um, David very well could have like danced on Saul's grave, put on the crown and been like, yeah, shit, man, fucking tired of that guy. He's always trying to kill me, but he doesn't. He sees in Saul the embodiment of, of God's presence on earth. He saw Saul as being human and worthy of uh, human dignity, um, not the least of which because he was his king, and that was incredibly important to David. Um, to think in Davidic terms in this moment would deprive us the luxury and the satisfaction of um, talking down on the administration, no matter what, uh, no matter what it is they really do. Um, I mean, I don't think Trump or anybody's ever taken a hit out on Democrats. Maybe come close. I don't know for sure. Um, but like, it doesn't matter what kind of assholes they are. They're still human. Um, they still are our president. Um, that was one of the things that really irked me under Obama and now under Trump. Um, some people say, well, Obama's not my president. And then the other side of the political spectrum is now saying, well, Trump is not my president. Well, the problem is they are. Um, the problem is we don't want to uh, be subject to the expectations and the requirements of our, our, our political systems. We don't want to because we want what we want and not necessarily what God or fate or whatever might have in store. Um, so those are the two things that stand out to me. It seems... Um, incredibly depressing that Jonathan has died and yet David acts in defense of Saul and does all this thing, this stuff. And um, he certainly has things to say about Jonathan, but he seems at least consciously more preoccupied with doing right by the king, even if that office was held by a, a you know, a guy that was trying to kill him. Um, and Saul got much more respect than he deserved and that seems to me to be precisely the thing that God calls us to do in moments like that. A prayer for someone in trouble or bereavement. Merciful Father, who has taught us in your holy word that you do not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men and women. Look with pity upon the sorrows of your servants for whom our prayers are offered. Remember them, O Lord, in mercy. Nourish their souls with patience. Comfort them with a sense of your goodness. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling into Pew Pew HQ's First Formation, where we share morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll consider participating in one of the three following ways. First, you can support this podcast with a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash firstformation. You can sponsor morning prayer for Pew Pew people with as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, 
You can become a co-host yourself by recording a lectionary reading and sending it to me to be included in a weekday episode of your choosing. Instructions for co-hosts can be found in earlier episodes, and you don't have to be a grunt to participate in First Formation in this or any way. Finally, and maybe most importantly, you can send me your prayer requests of a minute or less with a voice message feature on Anchor's iOS or Android apps. Prayers may be added to a morning prayer episode, aired anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in morning prayers for Pew Pew people. I hope you will continue to listen in and maybe even consider participating yourself. This has been and always will be Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.